Say pop psychology. Pop psychology. Pop psychology. Pop psychology. Pop psychology. Pop psychology. <laughs> Ooh, Lonnie, Lonnie, don't do that. <laughs> oh, hey guys. Um, Jared here. Uh, so Scott and I recorded a chunk of episodes over the summer, but we are releasing them now, uh, not in the order that we recorded them. So the first episode we released was our episode on Frozen, and we decided to release that first because Frozen 2 just came out. Now we're releasing our episode we did on Thanos, that's the one you're about to listen to, which is actually the first episode that we did. So we have a lot of like intro to the podcast stuff that goes on in this episode, and we talk as if it's the first episode, but actually it's the second one you're going to listen to. So I'm just telling you so that you won't be confused and angry and, and lash out uh, at, at people around you when you hear us talking about it's the first episode, but you already listened to one episode. So, you know, just a heads up. Hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, make sure you reach out to us. Um, and let us know what you think, uh, and rate us and review us on, uh, Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell all your friends about us and your, and your, and your loved ones and your enemies about, about how we made a podcast and they should listen to it. Okay. Have a good day. So I uh I have a I have an intro. Okay. Here, the intro is uh this is Pop Psych. Wait, wait, that's not it. This is Pop Psychology, a podcast about pop culture and psychology. We take characters from films and books and music and comics. We put them on the couch. We ask them about their mother. Have them look at some ink blots. Have them free free associate. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind uh-huh. when I say the word broccoli. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Try and figure out what's going on inside there. Sardines. That was the first thing that came to your mind. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Have I? I'm trying to remember how much I've told you about my idea for this. Hmm. Just, just basically that what you just said. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I've I've prepped. Um, for this episode, a, a little bit, I did some reading, mm-hmm. found some quotes. What What have you done? Um, well, in preparation for this episode, I got a degree in psychology, okay, and a master's degree in social work, okay. Um, just for this episode. Wow. And I watched. Uh, and I have watched, uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Okay, good. So I have two things mm-hmm. that I wanted to, that I feel like I want to do in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of sci-fi apologetics? 
Uh, I think you or maybe Aaron mentioned it to me before. Mm-hmm. But oh, we tell should me, say, remind me. My name is Jared Parker, and my name is Scott Parker. No relation. Yeah. Well, we do have the same parents. Oh yeah. But besides that, yeah, you know. So I guess biological uh, brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Aaron is our other brother. Yeah. Also biological. Yeah. Well, he's biologically our brother, and he's he is bi- he is himself biological. Yes, he's not a robot he's or a not ghost. A, yeah, like yeah. most brothers. Yeah. So, sci-fi apologetics. I think I learned about it on an episode of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi. I'm so fascinated by sci-fi apologetics. Yeah. What a lot of times, what people will notice when they watch a sci-fi film is that. They'll find they'll they'll kind of pick apart the way things work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the technology seems kind of weird. Um, sometimes some of the physics seems like they got the physics wrong mm-hmm. a little bit. Sci-fi apologetics is where nerds um, start from the assumption that whatever technology or whatever's going on in a given film is real, mm-hmm. like makes sense. Yeah, like is there for a purpose. Yeah. You know, and and then they try and come up with an explanation behind it. Right? Yeah. So apologetics, a lot of times people think about that in like religious contexts, like a religious apologists. Mm. I mean, apologetics is just kind of like rigorous argumentation in defense of something. Right. Yeah. So sci fi apologetics, people will do things like they'll talk about Star Wars and they'll say, well, you know, when they're on the Millennium Falcon and they're shooting their guns at the TIE fighters and the TIE fighters are making these weird, like, screeching sounds, uh-huh, you know? Yeah, and yeah. then when they explode, it makes a sound. And that doesn't make any sense because there's no sound in space, yeah. you know? But what sci-fi apologists will say, well, well, maybe, maybe what's going on is that the gunner system has, like, a built-in, like, acoustic feedback mechanism Uh so one of the ways that it helps you to track where the tie fighters are is by projecting their location around you with sound Mm -hmm. so when the tie fighter goes "Ah," you know you can hear it going over your head because the system fills in those gaps that would be a very useful system to have sure yeah and then there's some like they do stuff with like minority report with like their weird dumb you know um uh hologram Computer system where system. you put on a weird glove and then you can move things around. Anyway, they yeah. so so it's that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's it's making it's kind of making something a little bit more sensible. Or yeah, plausible or whatever. Right. So this is that's one of the things that I feel like I I'm interested in in I this want a podcast. nerd to apologize for arrival, which I rewatched uh yesterday. Yeah. There's that big toenail of a spaceship. Yeah. You know? And they make a big deal out of... It has no, like, moving parts. Right. But when there's a part where it moves... Yeah. And it's just floating through the air. Right. It makes a big, like... Sound. Yeah. Like, as if it was a ship or something. Right. Anyway. Apologize for that, nerds. <laughs> um, No. Okay, sorry. So what I am interested in is some kind of psychological apologetics. Uh-huh. Like doing that for characters in films. Yeah. A lot of times in some of these films, 
it's hard to kind of make sense of people's motivations mm-hmm. and kind of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're kind of inexplicable. And sometimes that's kind of what works about it, you know, yeah. like the Joker in The Dark Knight. He mm-hmm. kind of works because he's inexplicable. You're right. Because he's kind of mysterious. And so I don't know if it would add much to try and like psychoanalyze the Joker. Well, but the, ne- but the next movie is. Right, to. right, right. Yeah. The, the Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Or I also think like Anton Chigurh in like No Country for Old Men. Oh, he's kind of an enigma, and that's kind of what makes it work. So I don't know if it'd be helpful to. Oh no, but you can you can analyze the crap out of him. Sure. Yeah. But there are some characters that I feel like it kind of adds something. Right. You know. To. We should do a split. Yeah. Sure. Although I don't know if that would add much because it kind of explains everything in the in the movie well i feel like well it doesn't there's not enough why he's has dissociative identity disorder right it, yeah. i feel like it doesn't give you enough of his kind of backstory to understand why his symptoms manifest in the way they do yeah yeah you know? oh yeah so that's how we yeah um and then the second part of it is just the second thing that i would <clears throat> hope that we could do is just talk about kind of interesting intersections between mm-hmm. psychology and film Mm-hmm. You know, just stuff we're seeing in the media we're consuming that is resonating with something cool that you're learning about or reading about. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of Freud lately, which is fun. I've been uh, I'm I'm teaching a I'm a grad student in psychology and I'm going to be teaching psych 111 intro psych next semester. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be teaching history of psych in the fall. You know, so I'm going to be reading yeah. all this stuff and it always is resonating with what I'm. Yeah. what I'm watching and so it'd be a fun place to talk about that for so for example with split it wouldn't be might not be that we might not have enough content to really analyze like what's going on in his guts mm. and where his symptoms are coming from why they're manifesting in the way they do yeah but we still might be able to talk about theories of disassociative identity disorder mm-hmm. treatments you know stuff like that yeah totally and I, I have a sense that a lot of uh filmmakers in the industry right now are pretty tuned in to mm. psychology stuff. I would bet like half, uh, something like half of big filmmakers in the industry are like super aware of Jung, for example. Yeah. You know, Chris Nolan, you know, does, like has Jungian influences like in all his his movies, very consciously placed. You right. Know? I I was watching some of the um. Let's see, Batman Begins the other day. Yeah. And um, I I want to do the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Because I feel like the whole arc of Batman's character across the three movies, there really is an arc. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's like the initial split. The initial trauma, mm-hmm. and then it it has a resolution in the in the third movie. I feel like so. I, yeah. So I feel like that it's an interesting thing to talk about uh, psychologically. Uh, there's some Jungian themes in there, like you said, because it's it's you know Chris Nolan. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, Inception with all the dream crap, dude. Crap. Forget about it. For, forget about it. The other thing that I think of is that. Like good writing in films mm-hmm. captures something about human nature, you know. Yeah. So, so it makes sense to so you can see real psychological, you know, structures and processes in characters in films that are just 
that are like fleshed out characters. Yeah. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like if a film is really crappy and bad, the characters wind up feeling kind of like cardboard cutouts. Yeah. And they don't have much depth and so there's not that much to talk about. Yeah. But when a character is really um, fleshed out, they're really developed, um, you can see like psychological processes at work that psychologists talk about, maybe even ones that the writer, director, actor didn't explicitly know they were putting in there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that well, and that's probably better too because you don't want actually to have a character that's just meant to demonstrate a psychological principle. Mhm. You know. What are we what so this first episode, it's on Thanos. Yeah, we're talking about Thanos. Talking about Thanos. Um super hot right now. You are not a big Marvel Cinematic Universe guy. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, of the 22 films. 23, uh, I think, with Endgame. Um, I've seen like 10. Mm-hmm. But I was sick last year, and I was like, uh, I'll watch Infinity War on Netflix. And I watched it like 20 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting excited for Endgame. And then I watched a couple of the <clears throat> film, like other MCU films to prepare. And I then, think I made you watch Civil War. Yeah, yeah. And and then I just like loved Endgame so much. Yeah. Cool. Good. Yeah. I'm like not. I'm 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 into the MCU. I'm actually kind of surprised at how into it I am. Yeah. At how I like Mike. I feel like I'm so ca- I'm so invested in the in these franchises mm. that almost my like critical brain just shuts off uh-huh. when I watch <laughs> when I watch an MCU film. I feel like typically I'm a I'm a more more of a connoisseur. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so like you know I just I watched the Godzilla film. You know. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh-huh. The most recent one, and it was pretty shitty. Like I didn't, it yeah. wasn't that good, you yeah. know. Yeah. But usually you're hard to please, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm. I don't just like everything, but I feel like you're very forgiving with the MCU. Totally, and, yeah. and and not that there's that much to forgive, you know. Yeah. Um. But anyway, you're just all in. Yeah, like, I'm. Yeah. I'm kind of all in. Yeah. 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 Um. So let me tell you why I wanted to do Thanos. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> people commented that. Thanos kind of fixed the MCU's villain problem. Yeah. You know, that a lot of their villains were kind of flat. Yeah. You know, or or didn't work that well or weren't as deep as they could have. They they never had a they never had a Joker from the Dark Knight. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. Like like a, a film where the villain was kind of the most intriguing part of the of the film. Yeah. You know? And I think Thanos fixed that a little bit and I thought they developed him really well in uh Infinity War. You know, I thought he yeah. was just so fascinating. And he's wants to, you know, destroy half the universe, kill half the population of the universe. Uh-huh. And but he, he wouldn't phrase it that way. Right. He would say, make it so they never exist. Make it so they never existed. Never right. existed, yeah. Right. Yeah. And he gives a couple explanations for that. One of them... Which isn't really an accurate description. Make it so they never existed. Obviously, they existed in the memories of the survivors. Right. I think he's just saying he's not killing them because there's not any kind of suffering death. You know? They just kind of almost instantaneously snap out of existence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
So he has he ha- he gives two explanations for it. One of them is that this weird explanation about life eventually destroying itself. Yeah. That like life's not sustainable. It, right. That it's not like life expands to fill the space that it's in and then stops. It expands in a problematic way where it eventually produces suffering and collapses in on itself. Yeah. Which we're very familiar with because of uh our unsustainable earth life. Sure. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, just the human part of it you know yeah the rest of the animals seem to be doing you know pretty well i feel like um yeah so that's one thing he says and then the other one he says is he makes he 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 says that as if that's the reason but he keeps coming back to this theme of balance you know Mm -hmm. that the universe needs to be perfectly in balance that that half the universe yeah you know the, the universe right now is just out of balance which almost feels is like a mystical claim or like an aesthetic claim yeah it's not this utilitarian thing right yeah so the thing that's interesting to me about this is i think his explanation that life expands in an uncontrollable, unsustainable way, and it needs to be kept in check. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't make that much sense, you know. Uh-huh. And also, what's he doing? He's not going around doing a census of the universe. And you know, what if there's a planet that only has two people on it? He's going to kill one of them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it's just, it's kind of a weird. It doesn't seem like it would get the job done. First of all, and second of all, he destroys the stones after he does it. Yeah. So the same problem's just going to happen in like you know a thousand years or right. How long does it take to just get up to the same levels again and then how's he going to do it you know right so i just his reasoning doesn't make any sense uh-huh. you know yeah. but i don't think that's problematic yeah. necessarily i think it's helpful to think of his reasoning as almost secondary to almost like a, a an obsession that yeah. he has yeah and which makes more sense almost as a psychological symptom than it does as some kind of reason thought out process that's my claim right and and well i think it does make a certain emotional sense mm-hmm. but i mean i guess that's what that's what you're saying too right it's more coming from some perhaps unconscious thing dynamic or something. right yeah. yeah totally but like i feel like we too can have i feel like uh even though you're right it doesn't make any practical sense for mm-hmm. a practical strategy for managing the universe but I feel like it does resonate with something, like I said, especially in this time of uh, humans, we're very aware of how we're ruining uh, the planet. It makes a certain emotional sense, like sometimes we might think, what if like humans, you know, we there was just a big plague and a bunch of humans, like, you know, half the human race died and then the deer would be able to pounce around and the fish would come back or whatever i think deer more like prance than pounce oh yeah that's true yeah so never never mind so your whole none of that works yeah but you know it's it's that but that's like an that's emotional that comes back that's a theme in the t- tons of films right now yeah yeah i mean you know walking dead and you know um we're, we're obsessed with post-apocalyptic most people are dead types of scenarios yeah but but it wouldn't really work yeah. And it wouldn't really be good, obviously, because it would involve a lot of suffering of a species that's mm-hmm. very close to our heart, which is right. Homo sapiens, which is us 
itself. Yeah. So when I was thinking about this, in the comics, one of the shorthands for Thanos is the Mad Titan. Uh huh. So mm-hmm. the comics oh. like play up that he's this incredibly powerful being, mm-hmm. but he's been in a sense driven mad. Yeah. And yeah. so that is kind of the source of the 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 problem. That's yeah. his motivation is in some sense insane well and something else that makes it um even more seem like a delusional psychosis is the fact and i think this is what kind of sets him apart from other villains is the fact that he doesn't stand to benefit from this plan one single bit Mm. he doesn't seem to like like materially benefit he yeah it's not it's not really uh it's not about power Mm -hmm. it's not about I'm going to be the ruler or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just going to snap his fingers and this will happen. No one will know that he did it. Yeah, only generally a small portion of people will know. And yeah. then he's just going to go to some planet and just live this, uh, you know, destroy the stones and just like live this life. So there's you know? almost this kind of messianic delusion part yeah. of it that yeah. he's being self-sacrificial. He talks about how he's the only one that has the will. Yeah. To do things that are hard, like kill his own daughter. He really respects Quill, you know, when he when Quill tries to kill Gamora. Uh-huh. You know? He's like, I like this guy. Remember, you know, and then right. he, and then he zaps out of there. Yeah. And the same thing with uh uh Scarlet Witch. Yeah, when she's zapping um vision. Right. When she she's willing to kill the one that she loves, you yeah. know. So he respects that kind of does he say Does, something to her about that? Oh yeah. He says he says like um Oh, I'm the only one who could know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um what you're going through. Right. So, I want to pitch to you a couple explanations. Do it. Well, so first first just by way of description, I have my <clears throat> handy dandy uh DSM-5. Uh-huh. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders 5th edition. Uh-huh. And I'll just say I got this used online, and I think it's I got it so cheap because mine actually says Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mantle Disorders, M-A-N-T-A-L. <laughs> wow, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty sweet. <laughs> on the on the spine, it, it's correct. So I, there were two things that kind of resonated with me when I was thinking about kind of explanations of like what's going on with Thanos. Yeah. Here's, here's the first one. Well, first of all, listen to this. Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Uh-huh. Right. So personal I love personality disorders as a diagnostic category mm-hmm. because it's really just saying your whole personality is a disorder. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Who you are. Right. Yeah. Totally. It's not like, hey, you're a good guy, but you have this one kind of pathological area. It's like you are pathological, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, which sounds pretty judgmental. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway. Um, so listen to this. Narcissistic personality disorder, a pervasive pattern of grandiosity mm-hmm. in fantasy or behavior, mm-hmm. need for admiration. Lack of empathy, beginning by early, uh, by early adulthood, present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. Has, and just, if you think this applies, say it after I read the thing. Okay. Number one, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. Yeah. Two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Yeah. I mean, definitely fantasies of unlimited power. Mm-hmm. Although they're not really fantasies because he actually pulls it off. Right, you know? right. But before he pulls it off, 
they are fantasies, you know. He's obsessed by the fantasy of having unlimited power. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that one's borderline. Borderline. Believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high-status people. Yeah. Because he's the only one with the will. Yeah. No one else has the will to do what needs to be done. Sure. You know? Yeah, although he's kind of true. It's kind of accurate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. What do you mean? He is special. Right. But what he thinks makes him special is not just that he's powerful and can wield the Infinity Stones. What he thinks makes him special is is that he has... He has a unique will. Right. He's the only one that has the guts to do what needs to be done, even though it's really incredibly hard. Yeah, yeah, which is delusional, yeah. Right. Four, requires excessive admiration. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. He's totally fine with being hated by the majority of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, five, has a sense of entitlement. Um, I don't think so. Six, is interpersonally exploitative. I think so. Mm-hmm. He's exploitative of his daughters. He's exploitative of the children of Thanos. Sure, like, yeah. You know, his little creepy cadre. He of... wants them to serve his delusion. Sure. Yeah. And he's really exploitative of, like, um, Nebula. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he kind of twists her desire to please him in, like, a manipulative, mm-hmm. problematic way. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, seven lacks empathy. He's unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Yeah. That's, I think that's an interesting That's, one. like, his main one. Well... Yes and no, right? Because he wouldn't say that... He, I don't know if he lacks empathy. Uh-huh. He has empathy for uh-huh. Wanda, uh-huh. you know, for for Scarlet Witch. He has empathy yeah. for her when she kills, you know? Uh-huh. But he's... It's kind of... No, but he... No, but the fact that he's willing to just let it happen, and I'd like to point out the fact that he wants to um, do away with half the universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is often envious of others or believes others are envious of him or her? Probably not. So a lot of narcissists, um, people with narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. they, um, it's like barely veiled insecurity. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of tell that right underneath their show-offiness, they're extremely insecure and that you don't get that sense with Thanos. Right, right. Yeah, good, good. So we, I said envious, uh, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. I, I think so. Mm-hmm. He comes across as kind of arrogant, kind of oh, haughty. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. But I think you pointed out the the problem with the diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? And that is that um, it seems like borderline, oh no, sorry, narcissistic personality folks, it's a defense strategy. So he has yeah. a lot of the overt symptoms. Yeah. Like the externals. Mm-hmm. But- but we don't get a sense that he has that core. You know, he seems yeah. like rock solid. He seems very sure of himself. Yeah. You know, of, of who he is and his purpose in life and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So that's interesting. And that kind of gets at some of the limitations of the DSM diagnoses because really they're just symptomatic. They're just describing the surface observable manifestations of the symptoms yeah. and kind of aren't getting at the underlying core. So you could have two people and one of them has all these same symptoms and they're the result of 
their profound insecurity and mm. feeling of emptiness and yada, yada, yada. Mm. And you have someone else like Thanos who has all the same symptoms, but they're coming from zealotry or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Or a delusion. Or a delusion. Good. And and so there, there's a sense that there's those seven things. Mm-hmm. By the way, how many of those do, do, does he have to have to qualify for five. the diagnosis? Okay. Five. So he like five. almost makes it. I think he makes it. Doesn't he make it? I guess the, the two. One, two, three, uh, four, five, six. He has six. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Yeah. The only one he doesn't have is which one? He well no he doesn't have a couple he doesn't have um he doesn't need admiration yeah because he's totally fine with everyone in the universe hating him yeah he doesn't seem to have a sense of entitlement per mm-hmm. se mm-hmm. and he's not envious of others yeah he doesn't seem to be envious of others you know yeah, yeah. but it, yeah it definitely this definitely highlights the limitations of the DSM because there's this thing where if there's a recognizable um like phenomenon Mm -hmm. if you break it down into characteristics Mm. um you lose its essence yeah you know right and i'm always very conscious of that when it comes to gender Mm -hmm. um talking about gender because it's like it's very clear that there's a difference between men and women Mm -hmm. but if you ever uh talk about like a characteristic right that that uh demonstrates that difference the difference just like collapse like you lose hold of of the real sure the real thing because there's there is no characteristic that you can say this characteristic is is male because you could easily conceive of a female with that characteristic or a male without that characteristic. Right. Every characteristic. Right. Except for physiological right. thing. But even most physiological things you could, except for just like the genetic, right. you know, XY thing. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're just saying that, um, what are you saying? If Make, you, connect that back to the narcissistic if you so narcissistic personality disorder is some it is real mm-hmm. like in other words it, it's there, a real type of having a personality yeah there's a there's a real type of person that falls into this you know but if you break it down to its characteristics and talk about a, any of its characteristics you lose hold of of the reality of it right because the reality of something like that cannot defies being broken down in that way right yeah yeah and that's just what's hard about psychological nosology uh-huh. vocab word cla- nosology's word means classification of illnesses oh yeah i just learned it like last week yeah that's the problem it's you have to focus on or at least the way we're doing it now we focus on observables yeah you know and something that's kind of more easy to quantify instead of just has seems to be have this emptiness and insecurity that they're pushing away by being grandiose. You know, yeah. like that is kind of capture the essence a bit more, yeah. but it's definitely less. The only real way to do it is to just have someone who works with people like that mm-hmm. write a book about it. And then that book is is the description 
mm-hmm. and you just read that book and then recognize the thing right. when you see it. Which would be good for clinicians, but less good for concrete stuff like insurance companies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that, well, two more things came to mind from the DSM. Mm-hmm. So how do I want to do this? So I actually, actually I'll come, I'll come back to it. So I want to talk about borderline. But I don't want to talk about borderline personality disorder because it mm. doesn't fit. I don't think it fits. Yeah. So actually, let me talk about delusions first, and then I'll um, I'll talk about borderline. So first, um, uh, psychosis is, you know, when someone's psychotic, they have schizophrenia or one of those kind of spectrum of symptoms mm-hmm. or of disorders. Um, it tends to be characterized. Two of the things that characterize it are. Hallucinations and delusions. You yeah. know the I, you know the difference. What's the difference? Well, it's big difference. Hallucination is seeing or hearing or feeling something that's not there, mm-hmm. and a delusion is believing something is true that's not true. Right, but I would quibble with that a little bit because there's tons of people that believe things that aren't true. So the DSM says it like this. Delusions are fixed beliefs yeah. that are not amenable to change in light of conflicting evidence. Yeah. yeah. And man, there's still that doesn't really right. get at it um, because it's, it's like, like which evidential community are you a part of? Yeah. You know, like. Well, that's a good point. Like um, a lot of really conservative folks don't believe in climate change in spite of, you know, a lot of scientific consensus towards that end or. You yeah. can think of flat earthers, you know, that are part of this community yeah, that are kind of in an epistemological bubble. Uh-huh. And, and so they have different kind of ideas about evidence than we do, yada, yada, yada. So obviously there's a lot of cultural, um, social, uh, educational caveats to this. But having said that, we can all still kind of get a sense for the phenomena. And just because you can't draw a bright boundary yeah. at what point it becomes a delusion doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. A delusion uh, then uh, could be considered like a false belief, you know, that's fixed and stuff that um, doesn't fit in with our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't fit in with the culture. That can be true, but that still doesn't fit in. That still doesn't explain like flat earthers who uh-huh. are willing, or or young earth creationists who are willing to hold on to these beliefs. Well, in you spite could of, say that's a delusion. In spite of m- massive social pressure from the mainstream, I would say that's a delusion. I don't think it's a delusion uh-huh. because I mean I think partly they're part of a different epistemological community that has different values and different standards of evidence. I think that's, I, I'm I'm not trying to say that I'm like a flat earther or uh-huh. a young earth creationist, but what I'm saying is I don't think it rises to the level of delusion. Yeah, I think yeah. delusion is, I mean, it's hard to come up with the boundaries, but it's easy to think of things that are clearly delusions. Like if I'm Abraham Lincoln, Yeah, you know, just for, to clarify, I'm not Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm looking at him right now, and he's not Abraham Lincoln. Well, I don't look like him. Yeah. But even also, I'm not him. Yeah. Both. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the DSM has some great ones that they bring, like, persecutory delusions, you know, like, I'm being followed by the FBI. Yeah. Um, erotomanic delusions. Um, 
when you believe that someone is in love with you, mm. you know, who's uh, who's not. Yeah. But obviously that's also on a spectrum because maybe they winked at you or something. But yeah. when it being mm. able to discern that it's a delusion, you would be like you're you would have to know about the person's it's contextual well but also not even that you'd have to kind of have a sense for the level of certainty of the person who has the delusion yeah and their um and the amount of evidence that they that they have in other words they go we go to the mall to orange julius to get a drink and the person hands them the drink and you're walking away and, and and your friend is like she is in love with me and we're gonna you know, move. We're gonna run away together to a tropical island, and we're gonna be together forever. You, you know, that's almost that's that's almost delusional. Yeah, because I know you're one hundred percent certain that you're gonna run away together. Yeah, but you don't have any evidence. She barely said hi. Uh-huh. She just handed you your orange Julius. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the that's the phenomena, and and then it just gets graded. You know, back until you have things that are kind of, you know, like not believing in climate change is not a delusion. But you could also see someone. It could be a delusion for someone. Yeah. It could be a delusion for someone. So it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to draw the line. There's something really isolating about a real delusion. Right. Right. As opposed to I can see what you're saying about like flat earthers. The fact that it's not that it it connects them together right uh you know suggests that might be a different phenomenon right yeah so i would yeah i like that isolating so there's a great psychologist that i like named j h vandenberg Mm -hmm. um and he in one of his books he says psychopathology you know which is psychopathology is like the school of psychology that deals with you know mental illnesses Mm-hmm. He says psychopathology is the science of loneliness. Mm-hmm. You know, just talking about how, you know, to to an extent we all have our own take on the world. Yeah. You know, we're all attuned to the world in different ways, yeah. but when it reaches the level of 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 a pathology, it is at the point where we almost have our own world. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we're not sharing the same space as everyone anymore. Yeah. You know, like everyone's having a good time at the party but one person is terrified that that everyone's going to read their mind like that guy is not in the same is not in the same world as everyone else anymore you know yeah yeah i like that well and thanos definitely qualifies uh, you know if we're talking about a delusion that isolates him right he is alone in the universe right he's the only one you know yeah so i i I wanted to talk about borderline mm-hmm. because the original origin of the term borderline mm-hmm. was people who were trying to were dealing with people who weren't quite schizophrenic. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Um and now Oh really? It's a personality disorder. Yeah. Characterized they um I think the the buzzword is stable instability. Uh-huh. Have you heard that before? No, but that people makes with sense. borderline personality disorder they have instability in relationships in kind of their approach to everything that's almost like built into their character yeah you know like the only thing that's stable about their character is how unstable it is yeah you know and there's like and and they have patterns of they have patterns of like fear fear of rejection is a big thing but also fear of intimacy is a big thing yeah um identity disturbance impulsivity 
recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, threats, self-mutilating behavior, hmm. affective instability um, due to a marked reactivity of mood, um, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's that's kind of what – that's the personality disorder now. But the original term was, was um, clinicians who were like I, – I think some of them thought that these people were pre-schizophrenic. They yeah. were on the way out. Yeah. You know, where their beliefs kind of didn't reach yet to the level of delusion. Yeah. They they had a certain sense to them, but also they just felt kind of weird. They just mm-hmm. felt you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have people like if you have a friend that thinks everyone's falling in love with them and you can you know what I'm saying? Like the erotomanic delusion. Yeah. Um they there's a certain you have a friend who always thinks everyone is falling in love with them, and there's a certain amount you can kind of understand it, but it's yeah. almost kind of crazy at this point. Yeah. yeah. It, so that's kind of the <laughs> phenomena people are trying to make sense of, or people who feel like everyone hates them and they're being persecuted by everyone, and you can kind of see it. Maybe yeah. it's like half because they're almost calling down scorn upon themselves constantly. Yeah. yeah. But also... That doesn't seem to account for the strength of the belief. Yeah. You know? But to be clear, those two examples are are not related to borderline specifically. They're not related to borderline personality disorder as it's currently in the DSM. Right. But they're related to the origin of the word. Right, right. Because um, these clinicians... So one of my... I always wondered why it was called borderline. Sure. Because I thought it should be called full-blown. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So one of my professors in my master's degree told us that in previous diagnostic manuals and schemes, they would have a flow chart mm-hmm. for helping you figure out what the diagnosis was. Mm-hmm. And one of the first choices was, are they neurotic, which is just kind of run of the mill, you know, um, mental health stuff or psychotic. Yeah. Yeah, and neurotic is to, like I'm stressed out, I'm anxious. Yeah, yeah, or I have depression, or yeah, like, but so but those otherwise things. you can talk to them, and their like personality is sure. like just a normal person. And then he, so according to my professor, what, um, they had they inserted a third thing between the two, uh-huh. borderline. Uh... It's like, well, they're not psychotic, <laughs> but they're not really not psychotic, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering what you. Do you think that the obsession to bring balance to the universe, uh-huh. that's the part that really, it seems to me like the whole life expands and, and you know, is unsustainable, is just kind of almost a justification. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of him trying to come up with a reason for something that's actually deeper, which is like this idea of balance, trying to bring balance to the universe. It's imbalanced. Yeah. You know? So do you think that that, is crazy enough that it's a delusion Mm -hmm. or do you think that it's kind of in this borderline zone? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I think that's a good question. Um, I mean, this is kind of interpretative, you know, like it's not like there's an answer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I think, that he seems kind of in touch with reality. It's mm-hmm. not like he's so obsessed with balance that he's just way freaking out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is seems to me like the delusional phenomena is like you're almost totally out of touch with 
with yeah. people. It does seem uh, borderline in the sense that we're using it here, which is like not quite Delusional. psychotic, but not quite right. n- normal. Not borderline personality disorder, but old school. Yeah. Borderline almost psychotic, but not not quite a delusion, mm-hmm. but like in the same family. Almost yeah. there. It, it, the thing, a half step away from a, the from thing a full-on that, delusion. Yeah, the thing that makes it seem like not a full-on delusion to me is that he's able to um, have a plan about it that's that's realistic yeah. and to execute that plan. Right, right. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. People <laughs> who are delusional and think the FBI are watching them, what do they do? Yeah. They cover the head with tinfoil and, 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 you yeah. know, like it's kind of weird. Like, um, another one of the symptoms of a psychotic disorder is disordered thinking. Yeah. You know, kind of your almost ability to reason out causes and effects and stuff starts to kind of slide. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah, in that sense, there is a sense that, uh, he is occupying the same world. Mm-hmm. as the avengers right because the thing you know because he knows that he really could do it if he if he does things right and they know that too right you know for someone with a real delusion you don't you're not worried that they're actually going to like do it unless mm-hmm. they are trying to kill john lennon right i mean so i guess sometimes you are worried that they actually will do it but they're not actually going to like fulfill their delusion. It's hard to someone who has a full blown delusion is kind of so far out there. Their ability to function in the real world is 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 Impaired. definitely hampered. Yeah. yeah, and probably there might be some um, exceptions to that. Like maybe someone who's kind of delusional in some really really um, small area, or like know? a cult leader or something who's actually able to yeah manifest the right. delusion. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> which Thanos almost kind of is, right? But to a small extent. But if it's not a delusion, it's definitely like borderline delusion, and it's definitely an obsession. It's definitely yeah a psychological obsession. So I have, um, I want to talk about the uh, uh, etiology of his obsession. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that word? Uh, yeah, I I never know if it's, I think I looked it up one time and it said either etiology or etiology. Which, um, and what does the word mean? It just means the source. The cause, yeah. The, the cause, yeah, the cause of, of his. <coughs> um, so I want to, I'm, I'm going to pitch you two ideas and you can Ooh. let me know if either of them are plausible. Yeah. Um, but first I, I want to, my approach to this type of thing is, tends to be kind of, um, psychoanalytic. Mm-hmm. And Freudian, partly just because that's what I've been reading lately. Yeah. So, in other words, uh, I, I'm not I'm not interested in at this point just saying, "Oh, what's the cause?" He has a broken brain. Right. You know. Yeah. Obviously, his brain is part of the cause, but for me, that's not the interesting part. Right. You know, because even if his brain is broken, why this? Why this way? Yeah. This obsession rather than a different obsession and can we find a reason for this obsession rather than another obsession in his life in his relationships in his history in yeah his trauma like there's kind of a laziness to um you take someone with a disorder and you scan their brain and you go uh you know this they're using their brain differently and so therefore 
the etiology of it is uh, something's wrong with their brain. Right. Their brain is lighting up in this way, and a normal person's brain would light up in this other way. Therefore, there there's something um, reifying about that, mm. you know? Yeah. Saying, therefore, the reason that they're doing this is because their brain is lighting up different. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, taking the a description and making it the cause, maybe? Yeah. Like I had a, this is an aside, but I had a buddy who talked to me recently about how he went in for a brain scan mm-hmm. um, about ADD, like uh-huh. he has ADD, you know? <clears throat> and he went in and, and afterwards, you know, they showed him the scan. They're like, this is an ADD brain. Yeah. And he was like, oh my gosh. You know, I was like, wait a second. You already knew you had ADD. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all he did was just show you that on the inside it looks the same as it does on the outside. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it just affirmed what you already knew about yourself. And just because yeah, he's just because his brain is is working differently now doesn't it doesn't mean that it, that it makes sense to say you have ADD because your brain is just, I don't know, naturally set up that way. Mhm. It's a leap. That's a like Right. Yeah. Anyway. Right. It's just it's a chicken and egg thing. Yeah. Do you have ADD because your brain is set up that way, or is your brain appearing that way on scans because you have ADD? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um. So. Um. So first, uh, my approach. This is kind of broadly, kind of Freudian psychoanalytic. Yeah. And so that approach is to say that symptoms have what Freud calls a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll just read. I have a quote: "Clinical psychiatry." So when he's when Freud says that he's maybe talking about like kind of the medical approach, mm-hmm. takes little notice of the outward form or the content of symptoms, mm-hmm. but this but psychoanalysis takes matters up at precisely that point, um, and has established in the first place the fact that symptoms have a sense and are related to the patient's experiences. So I what I take when he says a sense he means they have a they they have a meaning. Yeah. They they serve some kind of psychological purpose. Yeah. They're doing something for the so person. So in other words, a uh, schizophrenic might say uh you know, there's a bomb in my car and that's what they're fixated. They're always worrying about bombs in a car or whatever. And uh, the one approach is just to say what like the the bomb in the car is meaningless it's just it's static it's broken like, brains yeah brain static pumping out meaningless <clears throat> meaningless garbage. stuff but freud would say no let's look at his association with cars and with bombs and what that is like for him and what that means right so we can find yeah we can find something about the 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 meaning of the person's life something yeah. about their experience yeah you know in their in their symptoms yeah which are the symptoms that are easy to dismiss so this same approach would say you know uh, a, a medical approach would say well thanos's brain's broken and that's why he has this thing and that's fine because yeah. it probably is you know yeah but um the psychoanalytic approach wants to say what's the meaning yeah. what's the what is this delusion doing for him yeah you know there's a freud scholar named jonathan lear that i like who who talks about how symptoms have some kind of strategic value? Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing something for the person. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, so I have one kind of Freud thing 
that I want to get your feedback on. Um, so are you aware of the term uh, repetition compulsion? Yes. And what is that? What do you understand that to be? Just um, repeating something over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, the way that Freud talks about it, well, he... Uh, th this is a great quote. This is from Introductory Lectures on Psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. um, so he's 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 talked about two patients. Just he just talked about two patients. He says both patients give us an impression of having been fixated to a particular portion of their past, mm -hmm. as though they could not manage to free themselves from it, and were for that reason alienated from the present and the future. They then remained lodged in their illness in the sort of way in which an, in earlier days people retreated into a monastery in order to bear the burden there of their ill-fated lives. Isn't, mm, <laughs> isn't well, that good? He's, I just like how he talks. Yeah. Um, it is as though these patients had not finished with the traumatic situation, yeah. as though they were still faced by it as an immediate task which has not been dealt with, um, we take this view quite seriously. Yeah. So I think that's the that's just such an amazing description of trauma. Mm -hmm. It's it's experiencing. So most of our memories we don't experience as a a, a present task that st that needs to be accomplished. Right. We view it. It's just in the past. Right. But for someone with trauma, they might repeat. You know that car accident over and over and over and over in their head almost as if they're trying to work out an unworkoutable problem right yeah. right so i think freud's point goes even a step further than that yeah and he would say that we reenact without realizing it without realizing it yeah we reenact um the traumas of the past the problematic relationships of the past so for freud a what what did I say the term was? Repetition. Repetition compulsion. compulsion. Oh yeah, he has an example of it. Let's see if I can find it. Mm -hmm. Um, this is from another essay by Freud. The the patient, for instance, the patient does not say that he remembers that he used to be defiant and critical toward his parents' authority. Instead, he behaves in that way to the psychoanalyst. He does, he does not remember how he came to a helpless and hopeless deadlock in his infantile sexual researches, classic Freud, <laughs> but he produces a mass of confused dreams and associations, complains that he cannot succeed in anything, and asserts that he is fated never to carry through what he undertakes. He does not remember having been intensely ashamed of certain sexual activities and afraid of their being found out, but he makes it clear that he is ashamed of the treatment on which he is now embarked and tries to keep it secret from everyone and so on. So those are the Freud, the examples Freud comes up with. Yeah. But you could think of an example of like a daughter raised by an uh, abusive alcoholic father who like marries like five alcoholics. Like she yeah. marries one, divorces yeah. him, marries another person. Oh, that guy's an alcoholic too. Divorces him after a couple of years because it's totally untenable. Yeah. And then the next guy she marries... Oh, whoops, he's an alcoholic too, you know? Yeah. She's not meaning to. Yeah. She's not intentionally doing it. If you tried to point, if you pointed out the pattern to her, she might not even be able to make sense yeah. of what she, what's going on. Yeah. She'd be like, yeah, that is weird. I wonder. But there's a sense in which it's intentional. Yeah. It serves a purpose. She's trying to work something out. Yeah. A part of her outside of her awareness is trying to work it out. So can you, 
can you connect that with Thanos? I have an idea. I mean, I see that in Thanos. So that's that's the content. That's that that's my first approach at yeah. why Thanos is obsessed with killing half the universe, snapping out of existence half. The I universe. feel like there's so many like creative like origin stories we could come up with about balance. No, no, no. Well, I mean, yes, that's true. But I think that it's. It's more. It's more obvious than that. So in his interaction, oh. his first interaction with uh, Doctor Strange, yeah, when they first confront each other, he uses the reality stone, the red stone, yeah, and he shows him this planet that he used to live on, yeah, yeah, and he says it started to get unsustainable. Uh-huh. Um, we, I came up with a solution, which uh-huh. was to kind of fairly and randomly, you mm-hmm. know, kill half the population so that everyone would be able to survive. They didn't take my word for it. Everyone died. My whole family, everyone I've ever known, the entire, my entire people died. I'm the last of my people. He doesn't say he's the last of his people, but he very well might be. Yeah. Everyone died. And presumably, um, it was a horribly bloody, violent war. His planet's all torn up. They didn't starve to death. I think they just killed each other fighting over resources. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... He has this traumatic event. So I think there's one thing that's complicated about this interpretation, and one is that he has, he's aware of that. Yeah. That's the reason he comes up with, and he tells yeah. Doctor Strange, Yeah, you know? But I think the area in which this still kind of falls in the line of symptoms mm-hmm. is that this um, past trauma has so much of a hold on him because he still psychologically is trying to resolve this past experience. Almost as if, if he could do this in the whole universe, it would, it, yeah, it would resolve the trauma from that. Right, like, if you asked him in his brain, <clears throat> you know you can't get them back, right? You know you can't fix this. Yeah. You'd say, yeah, of course I know. Yeah. But there's another sense in which he doesn't know that. Like, yeah. psychologically, he still feels like he can resolve it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have a great quote by Which one is, of my... That's so interesting because it's like by killing half the universe, he emotionally he could feel, you know, and unconsciously he could feel like I'm I'm saving people. I'm getting fe- people back. Right. You know? Even though he's not, he's He's destroying actually people. destroying people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, So... Here's a here's a quote from a philosopher that I like named Maurice Merleau-Ponty. He's an existential philosopher, phenomenological philosopher, but he he thought a lot about psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. and uh, he describes this same phenomena, and I think it's cool. So he says he uses the term repression, which is isn't the way we're talking about it, but we'll just say it. For repression, to which psychoanalysis refers, consists in the, the subjects entering upon a cor- a certain course of action a love affair, a career, a piece of work, and his encountering on this course some barrier. Mm-hmm. And since he has the strength neither to surmount the obstacle nor to abandon the enterprise, mm-hmm. he remains imprisoned in the attempt mm-hmm. and uses up his strength indefinitely renewing it in spirit. Yeah. Time in its passage does not carry away with it these impossible projects, it does not close up on traumatic experience. The subject remains open to the same impossible future, if not in his explicit thoughts, and there's the unconscious part, mm-hmm. at any rate, in his actual being. <clears throat> um, 
we continue to be the person who entered on this adolescent affair or the one who lived in this parental universe. New perceptions, new emotions even replace the old ones. But this process of renewal touches only the content of our experience and not its structure. Mm -hmm. This is the last part of the quote. This He just says, This past, which remains our true present, does not leave us but remains constantly hidden behind our gaze instead of being displayed before it. That's mm -hmm. his description of kind of the um, unconscious, right? Yeah. Which is... Maybe another way of saying that is that it's something that's going on inside of us that we've never made explicit. Yeah. If you don't like the idea of like kind of secret thoughts that you're not aware of, but it's mm. just thoughts that, that's going on that you're not, that you're not, haven't ever been explicit about. Yeah. And this happens all the time. We come up, we realize like, oh shoot, that interaction was going so weird because I was really looking for approval from that person. I wasn't just sharing my opinion. I wanted them to tell me that I was right. Right. And I don't realize that till afterwards, but that was going on the whole time. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's maybe another way. If you don't like the unconscious idea, that's another way of saying the same thing, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, repetition, compulsion. What do you what do you think? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And like I, I wouldn't be surprised if the writers uh, were aware of of that. They were placing that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have one other theory uh -huh. and I think it, it, I might like it better. I don't know. You, I'll, I'll say it. Then you, then you'll have to say what you think. So that accounts for a lot of the obsession to kill everyone and a lot of the balance stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't really account for some of his other behaviors. For example, his ad adopting children from all over the place. Uh huh. The balance stuff a little bit doesn't really account for the balance stuff per se. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's my other theory. Um, so there's a psychoanalyst named Melanie Klein. I think mm -hmm. she was English, um, mm -hmm. and uh, she had like a lot of psychoanalysts. They think that kind of our development in childhood really sets the stage for a lot of our subsequent you know, mental health problems, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So her idea is that when, and she got this from, you know, she did a lot of psychoanalysis of children and, and adults, and um, she noticed this tendency towards what she calls splitting, mm -hmm. um, which is just this kind of black and white thinking. Yeah. Um, in the DSM, in the borderline personality disorder part, it talks about alternating patterns of, it's not admiration. What's the word of, um, <clears throat> hold on, I'll grab it. Like, a f mm, let's see. I have it right here. Uh, alternating extremes of idealization and yeah. devaluation. Yeah. Right. So she was noticing those patterns. The, the conclusion that she came to was. So meaning people with borderline personality disorder, they will, um, e you know, either think, this person is so great and I love them or like, I hate this person. They're the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And sometimes they'll, it'll be the same person and they'll alternate. Yeah. They'll be in love with someone for a couple of weeks and then it's, they're literally the worst person they've ever met. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, so <laughs> Melanie Klein made sense of this through kind of her analysis of child development and the behavior of children. And she, she thought when a child comes into the world and their mind and their psyche is kind of developing, um, the world is overwhelming in its complexity, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's goodness and it's badness. And 
the ambiguity of a lot of things. So, for example, the mother is the person who loves and takes care of you, mm. but at the same time, and she's like your lifeline. If you don't have the mother who's feeding you or whoever's feeding you, you know, mm. um, you're going to die. But at the same time, sometimes they're disappointed. They don't come as quick as you want. Sometimes the breast one's out of milk and that's frustrating. Mm. And so the child, in order to deal with kind of the anxiety provoked by this complexity splits yeah and starts to think of the mother not as a complex object good and bad but as there's a good mother and there's a bad mother and there's a good breast and there's a bad breast and i can give my love to the good and i can try and destroy the bad Mm -hmm. and melanie klein claims that if normal development goes the way that it should eventually we learn to integrate those she calls that the position of splitting, she says, happens in what she calls the um, paranoid schizoid position. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she says, once we learn how to integrate things, we enter what we call the, she calls the depressive um, uh, position, mm-hmm. which has to do with just kind of mourning uh-huh. um, and, and kind of um, mourning my um, anger and resentment towards this object that is now unified i don't know much about that yeah but the point being that for her if you don't go through this phase right you have well actually two things one if you don't go through this phase right you never get really good at integrating the object and you have this style of thinking Mm -hmm. that alternates between devaluation and idealization Mm -hmm. either of different people you know or the same person at different points in time yeah and uh That's one thing if you don't go through the phase right. But she also will say something like, even if you go through development correctly, um, a sufficiently traumatic or overwhelming experience or too much stress in your life or something that kind of overwhelms your natural kind of way of handling things can almost make you regress and go back to this style of thinking. Yeah. And for me, that makes sense of a lot of... uh, Thanos' symptomology. So his horribly traumatic, painful death of his entire people Mm -hmm. would be sufficient to kind of make him lose some developmental ground. Yeah. And in response, he might, he can move back to this style of thinking involving splitting. Mm -hmm. He splits half the universe, Uh half he idealizes, Mm -hmm. I'm going to. The sun will rise on a grateful universe, right. he says, even though he's killed half of them. Yeah. They're going to be grateful, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Yeah. Also, he adopts Gomorrah and Nebula, mm-hmm. and Gomorrah he lavishes with kind of praise and affection, and he's always kind of a douchebag yeah. to Nebula. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then in the last movie, it flips, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. it's not just that like the objects of idealization or devaluation are static, mm-hmm. but it's just a style of thinking, you know, because right. in the last movie, it flips and all of a sudden Nebula is the golden child and yeah. Gamora is has to stay on the ship, you right. know. Right. Um, so what do you what do you think of that one? Huh. Um, it is yeah, that is interesting. Um, so there's no diagnosis with that. It's just splitting is what you're saying. Right. It's not a diagno- Yeah, it's not a diagnosis. It's not a diagnostic category. It's a description yeah. of the mechanism, the psychic mechanism that might be going on and some commentary from Melanie Klein yeah. about where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
when I think of splitting due to a trauma, um, I think of like, you know, a trauma is something that is just like hard to like or impossible to wrap your mind around. And so then splitting is a thing that the brain, you know, will do or that will do to um, make it easier to kind of make sense of things. Right. So that speaks to the fact that some of these kind of pathological processes have some strategic value. Yeah. If the world is so overwhelmingly complicated, you know, overwhelming because of your life circumstances they just you're just overwhelmed you know splitting is a way of dealing with that yeah it's a way of it lessens some of the anxiety to put some things in this category and some things in the other you know yeah like uh like and there are things in this world that are just completely baffling i think of like bill cosby Mm -hmm. you know not only was he the symbol of family values but he was also a feminist figure mm-hmm, right and it's i can't really comprehend how he could be that way i mean i guess i kind of can't because some people just live these paradoxical double lives right you know? or michael jackson yeah or michael jackson um and uh or but like what it would look like with a person is, you know, like maybe someone uh, loves their uncle and everyone loves their uncle and their uncle is like a leader in the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then just like one afternoon, you know, their uncle just like touches them inappropriately. Right. And then and then that's it. It's not like ongoing abuse or anything. It's just like that happened one time. Mm-hmm. It can drive a person crazy to the point of even thinking, like, did that did that really happen, or mm-hmm. did I hallucinate that? Mm-hmm. Just because of the pure like paradox of it, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So and so, so then splitting could be a thing that they're kind of forced. Their brain is forced to do right to make sense of things. So the the my claim here is that it's not that he had to respond to an individual by splitting them because yeah. they're because they're Bill Cosby or yeah. because his uncle touched him yeah. even though his uncle was a great guy yeah he it was his whole life situation yeah was such that it was that paradoxically overwhelming and 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 anxiety and stress producing yeah that the only way to handle the world the universe as a whole the only way to live in the universe for him was to just split was to just start splitting things yeah you know yeah because um in his mind it's very straightforward what happened on his planet right they didn't listen to my plan and so they died. But that could be an ex- an example of ki- kind of like splitting mm-hmm. to make sense of it. Because the reality of it could be, you know, if if they if we went with my plan, you know, we would have killed each other anyway. Right. Uh, or or um, you know, maybe they were on the brink of discovering some sustainable something. Right. You know, but... It's not the only way you could have thought about it. Yeah, it's not the only way you could have thought about it, but he, because he lost everyone he's ever loved... Right. And it was such a trauma, um, a traumatic experience, he, um, you know, came up with this narrative 
uh, that that splits it and makes it very simple. And then he delusionally applies that same mm-hmm. p- pattern mm-hmm. to the rest of the universe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And to his daughters. I think that's the part that makes it super interesting because you're right. It is kind of like someone with borderline personality disorder who they will target one child. They'll treat the rest of their children great. One child, it's like they can never do right. Right. You know, and that can switch. Right. Yeah. Which is really sad. Yeah. So what do you guys think, Internet? Did we uh did we touch on it? Is there a better theory? What's your ideas? Um, reach out to us. We're on Twitter. Did you know that we're on Twitter, Scott? No. Reach out to us at, at @poppsychpod. We're on our email us. Do uh, you log into Twitter? I just made the account yesterday. Oh, okay. Poppsychpod at gmail dot com is our email address. Hmm. Um, Pop Psychology Podcast. That's what we are on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your interpretation is. What didn't? What does our diagnosis? What does our explanation leave out? You know, um, do you have something better? A- and let us know what other films, books, TV shows, music you want us to cover. At this point, I would talk about who does our cover art. We don't know yet. Who did our song? Someone we don't know yet. Super good. Who mixes our podcast? We don't know yet. We're produced by uh, Aaron Parker. He's our Probably. producer. Yeah. If he agrees to it, <laughs> um, we look forward to hearing from you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>